think some of us have responded and have kind of jumped out of the boat. But I want, to, I want to continue that theme this week before I start a new series in our ministry year beginning next week. I want to kind of continue that theme with this thought. Letting go of the boat. Let's pray together before I, I share my thoughts. Gracious Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to share in this time together. May our time be here to connect with heaven and your promises. May it reflect and breathe in the wonder of your love, the majesty of your kingdom, and the excitement of traveling through life with you. Watch over our hearts this morning, Lord, and free us to receive your teaching through the presence of your loving spirit. Amen. And everybody said... All right. You can come every Sunday, okay? You know. I heard Tony Campolo share for the first time he, he pastors a black church, a colored church in, in the United States. And in his young ministry, the first time he preached as an associate preacher, pastor in this church, he was the only white person in this particular congregation. And he started preaching. And they started responding with amen, help him Jesus, praise the Lord. He said, after a while, I got so excited I wanted to take notes on my own message. <laughs> and so there is something to be said about enthusiasm. When he was 88 years old, the Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes found himself on a train. The conductor called for tickets but Justice Holmes couldn't find his and fumbled through his wallet frantically without success. The conductor, the conductor, however, was sympathetic and said, Don't worry, Mr. Holmes. The Pennsylvania Railroad will be happy to trust you. When you reach your destination, you'll probably find the tickets, and then you can mail them back to us. The conductor's kindness, however, did not ease any of the anxiety in Mr. Holmes. He said, My dear man, my problem is not where is my ticket, but rather, where am I going? I think sometimes we as churches, particularly as we move into the 21st century, can find ourselves in that same thought pattern. Where are we going? What has God got in store for us? Can you give us, Holy Spirit, some idea? about where we're going. Well, I suggest perhaps that the modern church lacks a defined destination within their own spirit and within their own mind. In other words, we kind of lack faith vision. Our passage of Scripture this morning really stems from the very first verse of Hebrews where it says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Often when we think about faith, we want to see the end of the game. But that's not what our Scripture teaches us. I read this story about Sherlock Holmes and Watson while they were camping one night. In the middle of the night, Sherlock Holmes awoke and looked up at the stars, and he asked Watson, 
What do you see? Woken from his sleep, Watson looked up and said, Stars. Yes, but what do these stars tell you? Watson said, Well, cosmologically, they tell me that we are part of a large universe, that we are one of billions and billions of planets. Theologically, they tell me that we have a great God who made it all. Meteorologically, they tell me that the sky is clear and we'll have good weather tomorrow. Temporarily, they tell me it is the middle of the night and we should be sleeping. Sherlock, now that you've woken me, what do they tell you? Well, he said, they tell me that someone has stolen our tent. Let me ask you this morning, let me ask you, church, when you look ahead, when you look, we're going to begin a ministry year next week. It's kind of the church's new year. It's when we kick off new, a new ministry. But what do you see God doing here? What is your faith vision for Thornhill? Where are we as a church? Where are we as a people? What are we energized by? I suggest to you that there are three church cultures that are active today. The first is what I call the... Whoops, I, I got Sherlock Holmes. Okay, you saw Sherlock up there, right? First one I call is the undertaking church. That's a church that's consistently looking backwards. The undertaking church is always looking over their shoulder. It seems that all the people want to talk about are the good old days. They miss what is happening today because they are looking back to yesterday. Quite often, decisions made in this kind of church are based on what has worked in the past. Their theme is, if it was good enough for them, it is good enough for us. I don't see that being very bad. But I went and read one th Psalm 137, and David wrote this about the children of Israel. Beside the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put, our, we put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of the poplar trees. For our creators demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. Sing us one of them old hymns. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord when we're in a pagan land? I want to suggest to you that the children of Israel were caught in looking back. They couldn't see what God was really doing. They didn't understand. God was doing a new thing, but they did not understand it. They saw captivity as the end and not the beginning. They did not see that through the captivity, God was setting the stage for Jesus. We know the history now. They didn't know it then. The history that the Babylonians would be defeated by the Persians who would allow the Jews to spread all across the Mediterranean. 
They did not know that the Persians would be defeated by the Greeks, who would unify all people with language and culture. They didn't recognize that the Greeks would be defeated by the Romans that would create roads and transportation for every remote corner of the known world. Then Jesus was born, then, then Jesus was born the stage, when Jesus was born the stage was set, as the message spread like wildfire and in one generation reached everywhere. God was working in the nation of Israel and they didn't understand it. They could not see clearly what lie ahead. Mao Zedong, leader of China and hated Christians. Mao Zedong wanted to eliminate Christianity. First he arrested the Christians and then spread them all over the country thinking that when they were dispersed, the church would die and they would give up. But then he began to arrest them. And then he would give them the lowest denominator of work. He made them garbage collectors and grave diggers. On the surface, you might think that that would work for him. But you see, God is God. God is God. However, in spreading out the Christians, he planted Christianity through the entire nation. In making Christians garbage collectors, he gave them access to every home in the country. By making them grave diggers, he gave them access to everybody who was grieving and they could bring hope. You see, I don't think we have any idea how God wants to use us and move us. I don't think these Christians saw at that moment when they were being dispersed and given these lousy jobs that God was in it. But God was in it. Franklin Field says this, Poor eyes limit your sight, poor vision limits your deeds. Am I on the right one? Good. Poor sight limits your deeds. Well, we can learn from the past. We can't live there. Too many churches today are spending their time and resources lamenting the past. My wife and I had a wonderful ministry in Osler, Saskatchewan. Up until about now, I would say it was my best ministry. And I'm not sure about this one because I haven't been here long enough. But it was a good ministry. We saw the church grow from about 70 people to almost 300 people. And it was just exciting and vibrant. And God moved me on. And even today, they phone me. They talk to me. They send us emails. We visit them and say, can you please come back? Just recently, the church, the pastor that took over when I left, returned. And so we got Facebooks and messages. The church is open. Can you come back? But we thought, yeah, that would be a good idea. But then I thought, but these people want me to be the same as I was 10 years ago. And they want the church to be the same as it was 10 years ago. That doesn't work. 
the great theologian Helmut, now German, I'll get my German right, Helmut Finkel, of decades ago, wrote these words. The gospel must be preached afresh and told in new ways to every generation. Since every generation has its own unique address and questions, the gospel must constantly be forwarded to a new address because the recipient is repeatedly changing his place of residence. We constantly need to be sharing the gospel with 21st century. While it is possible for a church to always look back, and sometimes it's a good thing, it can be true of us. One of my favorite wives when she's melancholy, she will ask me, would you change anything? And I know she's in one of her looking back stages. And it's a good question, isn't it? Would you change anything? Well, I look back and say, probably I wouldn't have changed anything, but Jesus changed me. And so I went in a new direction. We often find those kinds of things. Let's move on to the second characteristic church. The caretaking church. The caretaking church is always concerned with pressing issues. It is so busy and there are so many needs that its focus is on the immediate issues. It seems to always be in maintenance mode just trying to keep their head above water. Decisions in this kind of church are based on immediate needs. The number one question is always, do we have enough money to support this. It reminds me of Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 when he called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now you're remembering the 5,000. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on their way. Here's how their disciples responded. Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? They got so focused on the immediate need that they lost sight that Jesus was in their midst. And Jesus would be the provider. They had already seen him do miracles. They had already seen him raise the dead. They had already seen him heal the sick. And now they're saying, but how could we possibly do this? Because their focus was on the immediate lead. A caretaking church tries to be realistic and make people comfortable. As long as the services are good and the needs are met and the people are happy, then all is well. If, it's, if their theme is, if it isn't broken, then don't fix it. The problem is that that kind of church walks by sight and not by faith. They walk by what's going on in their very midst right now and not by faith. It's easy for you and I to slip into that. It is for me. 
And I'm sure any pastor who, who has pastored a church knows that they can walk in the church Monday morning and their, their time can be completely consumed with immediate needs. And we try to fix them all because we think that's what we're supposed to do. And we lose sight of Jesus. We lose sight of Jesus. I want to tell you, vision encompasses vast, oh, sorry, vision encompasses vast vistas outside the realm of the predictable, the realm of the safety, and the realm of expectation, said Charles Swindle. Theodore Roosevelt said, no man, no man is worth his salt who is not ready to take a risk, to risk his body, to risk his life for a greater cause. So I introduce to you the third culture, and that is the risk-taking church, the church that's looking ahead. The church, the risk-taking church, believes the best is yet to come. We haven't reached the potential at Thornhill Baptist Church that God wants us to reach. The best is yet to come. Risk churches seek to be on the cutting edge. They want to see how God is moving and to use all available technology, music, and facility to make Christ known. But one of the reasons that we're reluctant to become that kind of church is because we have a fear of failure. But I suggest to you, my beloved brothers and sisters, failure is just part of life and is often a prerequisite to success. If you aren't failing, it's been well said, you aren't trying. I once heard George Vermer of Overseas Missions speak about how their organization came into being, and he said, it was birthed out of failure. The title of a book I read some years ago, Failure is the Back Door to Success. I believe that. If we want to, as a church, move forward with vision, then we must accept the fact that there will be times in the future that we may fail along the way. Let me give you an example of that kind of person. Jonas Salk. Anybody know who he is? The inventor of the polio vaccine. Jonas Salk attempted 200 unsuccessful vaccines for polio before he came up with the one that worked. How did, uh, someone asked him, how did it feel to fail 200 times trying to create a polio vaccine? His response, I never failed 200 times. I simply discovered 200 ways how not to make vaccine. You see, failure can have a positive or a negative attitude. 
And as we move forward as a church, because I believe with the deepest part of my heart that God is doing something here, and we can't quite see the picture yet. We can't quite see it. It's like our friends in our story. Think about Noah. When God said to him, I want you to build a boat, a big boat, and I want you to build it in your backyard, which was primary desert with no rivers or lakes, very close. But Noah said, I don't get it, but I'll do it. So he started building. We get to see the end of the story, which Noah got to see at the end of the story. And think about Abraham. He was in a pretty comfortable place, lots of flocks, nice family, fairly wealthy. And God said, I want you to go to a promised land that he didn't even know what it looked like or where it was or what it would be. But he remembered God's promise to him that he would be the father of great generations. And so he went. I suggest to us this morning that what destroys perspective is to measure our ministry on too small a scale. We lose the wide-angle view because we we're riveted on the close-up. We're concentrated on our daily issues, and it robs us of the power to see ahead. I remember in high school, how many, how many of you remember science classes? Well, I went a long time ago, and so science classes in those days aren't like they are now. One of the great exciting things we, had, we were able to do in science class was dissect a dead animal or look through a microscope. And the first thing I was, my first science class when I got into grade nine, we went to the microscope and they said, we want you to look under there and uh, tell us what you see. And so I got into the microscope and looked into it and it was a spider. But it had looked like no other spider I'd ever seen before. It was hairy and ugly and scary. But it was just a daddy long legs. I went from there saying, I'm never going to clean a cobweb again because I saw the spiders from a microscopic view instead of a wide-angled view. And it scared me. And churches today are seeing the world from a microscopic view, not the wide-angle view that God sees. And He wants us to participate with Him. He wants us to catch a glimpse of the wide-angle and not be held back. Not be held black. A blind man's world is bound by the limits of his touch. An ignorant man's world is bound by the limits of his knowledge. And a great man's world is bound by the limits of his faith vision. I read this also. A vision without a task is a dream. A task without a vision is drudgery. A vision and a task is the hope of the world. What is our vision that God wants to, us to do? Are, are we, how big a scale are we thinking? I don't know. But this I know, that God is moving.
God is moving. When I think about the boat and Pastor Zig and the great, great messages he bring. Amen? Those are good messages. Wonderful. I'm so glad that he's, he's partnering with us and sharing his God-given gift to communicate God's word. But I see the first one the undertaking church is believers who are in the boat and they're comfortable and they love Jesus and they have eternal life and, and everything's good. They're in the boat. And, but he kind of challenged, okay, so I'll get out. So we jump out of the boat and, and, and all of a sudden all the things around us start to seem overwhelming. Instead, So we cling to the boat. We've jumped out of the boat but we're still hanging on. But I think what Jesus wants today and what Jesus wants of Thornhill Baptist Church is he wants us to let go of the boat, not just out, but to let go so the current of the Holy Spirit can take us where he wants us to go. He cannot take us as long as we're hanging on to the boat. But if we let go, he will take us. Where? I don't see it yet. I just know his word tells us we need to go. We need to go. I close with this illustration. Eight-year-old Frank had looked forward for weeks to his, this particular Saturday because his father had promised to take him fishing if the weather was suitable. There hadn't been any rain for weeks, and as Saturday approached, Frank was confident about the fishing trip, ready to go. But wouldn't you know it, when Sunday morning dawned, it was raining heavenly, heavily, and it appeared that it would continue all day. Frank wandered around the house, peering out the windows and grumbling more than a little. Seems like the Lord would know that it would have been better to have the rain yesterday than today. He complained and complained to his father, who was peacefully sitting by the fireplace reading a book. His father tried to explain to Frank how badly the rain was needed and how it would make the flowers grow and bring much needed moisture to the, to the farmer's crop, crops. But Frank was adamant. It just ain't right. He said over and over, it just ain't right. Well, about three o'clock that afternoon, sun came out, still time for fishing. And quickly the gear was loaded in the car, off they went to the lake. Whether it was the rain or some reason, the fish were biting hungrily and father and son returned with a full string of fine big fish. At supper, when some of the fish were ready, Frank's mom asked him to say grace. Here's what he said. And Lord, if I sounded grumpy earlier today, it was because I couldn't see far enough ahead. You ever find yourself grumbling even about church? Or your life? Or your circumstances? I suggest it's because we never can see far enough ahead. Faith vision is what I believe God is calling Thornhill to. 
I believe that he wants us to become that risk-taking church. Yeah, we're going to make some mistakes. Yeah, and things are going to change. But I'd rather be in the current of the Holy Spirit changing than sitting in the both night and comfortable with Jesus and not experiencing all that God wants me to experience or wants us to experience. As long as we remain in the boat, we'll never see what God wants of us. We may be comfortable, but we will never see. And when we get caught up in all of the things, immediate needs around us, not that they're not important and we shouldn't be addressing them, but we shouldn't take our eyes off that there's much more God has planned for us. I don't know many things about my future life. I know that next week I'll be here again. And that next year I may be here again. But this one thing I know, this one thing I know, that Jesus, through His Spirit, has been impressing on my heart, I want you to be a change maker. I want you to be a change maker. And that scares me more than it scares you. But I've come to the place that I'm not going to be afraid if I fail. I'm going to say, well, that's just, I won't do that again. It won't stop me from changing. I ask you this morning as we approach the Lord's Supper, I ask you to think. You can respond too, by the way. Do you believe God wants us to stay still or does he want us to change? That's great. Are you committed to changing? I ask myself that. I can't change people unless I'm committed to changing. Unless I'm committing to step out of the boat. Unless I'm committed to let go of the boat and say, Holy Spirit, take me where you want me to be, and I will go. Even though I don't quite know what it's going to look like. And I know that Jesus has much more for this church. Not that we haven't done great things. Not that the church hasn't been a wonderful church and grown. But we need to move on. We need to keep growing. We need to keep going. We need to find the Holy Spirit. We need to reach with Him. I want to take notes on my own message now. So as we come to the, supper, as we come to the Lord's table... Allow those thoughts to be in your mind as you thank Jesus for who he is, what he's done, and what he's given us. But also quietly say, Lord, do I need to change and where do I need to go? If I could have those joining me from the, with the Lord's Supper, come and join me.